Thank God for the, again, wonderful blessing to be able to be here to assemble uh, this evening and to worship our great and masterful God, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. There's no one like Him. And if you ever thought about the fact there's a time when you didn't know God, you didn't know God. Now you know Him, and now that we know Him, the amazing peace and joy and celebration there is in our hearts. God is good. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Masterful and wonderful Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for the opportunity to serve you, to do your will, to be your children, to recognize us and to allow us to know you. But better than that, for you, O God, to know us. And this evening as we worship you, we pray that you will touch our hearts, remove worldly thought from our minds, and bless us, Lord God, to glean from your word, enriching truths to strengthen us in our faith. We pray that you will help us never to forget Jesus, your great son, who died so willingly on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary that we might live. He did your will, lived perfectly, and showed us how. And he showed us actually, Lord God, through your word, that if we desire it, we too could live perfectly. If we would put our minds 100% towards serving you and loving you and honoring you and glorifying your name. But we don't. And for that we ask forgiveness. And for that we are eternally thankful to Jesus, who demonstrated to us the perfect life to live. We're praying, Lord God, that you will be done. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, please. We are continuing uh, with this idea of Joseph of Arimathea. And he demonstrated a courage for us to follow. And, and the question is, what kind of faith would you have if you witnessed Jesus Christ? If you witnessed him? If you, if you saw his miracles, if you saw him, if you heard him speak, how would you have felt? And I want to go back for just a moment in the early days of Joseph of Arimathea and the early days of Jesus Christ. And Joseph was there. In Luke 2 and verse 44, the Bible says, But supposing him to be on in the caravan... And he went a day's journey and began looking for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. And it came about that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So imagine if you were Joseph of Arimathea and you either were sitting right here at the feet of Jesus, or you heard about this amazing kid, this child who answered these amazing questions and was teaching you the Word of God, you would remember that forever. In John chapter 7, beginning at verse uh, 45, Joseph would have heard about this or been here too. In verse 45, the Bible says, The officers therefore came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, Never 
that a man speak the way this man speaks. And so his mind may have gone back to, I remember when Jesus was just a small boy, a small child. And I remembered the way he spoke and how amazed we were. Not at his cuteness, but at his amazing knowledge and his command. In John 7 verse 37, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, but Jesus was not yet glorified. And Jesus, when he spoke, he spoke so amazingly that the people were mesmerized at him. Some were just curious and said there's something uniquely different about him. And some believed. And Joseph of Arimathea was one of those who believed. John chapter 19. But here's what Joseph had to do. I said this last week and I want to emphasize it again this week. He had to muster up enough courage to go to Pilate, risking his own life to say, I am a follower. He asked for the body of Jesus. And in those days, it was very difficult to be a child of God. In verse 31 of John chapter 19, the Jews, therefore, because it was the day of preparation, so that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other man who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately there came out blood and water. Verse 38, and after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. He came, therefore, and took away his body. But I want you just for a moment to go back to Mark, because we don't get this understanding uh, unless we turn to the book of Mark, chapter 15. Then we gain an understanding of what it really took. For Joseph to go and just ask a very simple question. May I have the body of Jesus? Verse 43. The Bible says, Joseph of Arimathea came a prominent member of the council who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. He had gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of of Jesus. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that you would have to gather up courage to ask for the body of a dead man. But because of the fact that people feared, they feared the Romans. They feared the Sanhedrin. They feared the Jews. Because this was a very ruthless and bloodthirsty time in which they were living. And I want you to think about the things they feared. They feared, number one, being put out of the, tri- the temple. Number two, they feared being executed 
as followers of Jesus Christ. And for that reason, Peter denied the Lord, remember? He denied the Lord. The man who said, Lord, we will, I will die with you, but he denied the Lord because of fear. There was a lot of reasons to be fearful of the Romans in that day. And this was an angry, angry, bloodthirsty mob. And they shouted out, crucify, crucify him. They were people without mercy. They were people without respect for human life. They were people who did not, this is important, they did not want the truth. The Pharisees were only concerned about their position of high power and their nation. So it took courage for Joseph to expose his faith to these bloodthirsty people. And let me just just real quickly remind you of how horrible they were. They were willing to execute a sinless, perfect man. And look at Luke 22 and verse 31. Luke 23, rather, excuse me, in verse 31. That's the wrong one. Luke 23, 31. Listen to this. For if they do these things in the green tree, what will happen in the dry? Jesus said that. What Jesus is saying is that if they would take a perfectly innocent man and execute him and treat him wickedly and be brutal to him in the daytime, In other words, they didn't even care. This wasn't even a secret thing. This was so obvious what they were doing. If they'll do this in the green, if they'll do this in the daytime, you better watch out. And how bad were they? How ruthless were they? Well, here's what Jesus is talking about in Luke 23 and verse 20. The Bible says, And Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on calling out, saying, Crucify, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death, and I will therefore punish him and release him. But they were insistent with loud voices asking that he be crucified, and their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand should be granted. And he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to their will. That's how bad the times were. I mean, you know, it didn't matter. Truth didn't matter. All that mattered was the will of the Pharisees and the scribes. And Jesus says, watch out. And as Isaiah 53 and verse 9, God speaking God speaking of the future events that would happen. In Isaiah 53 and verse 9, His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet He was with a rich man in His death because He had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in His mouth. Jesus, the fulfillment of prophecy. Back please to John chapter 7. What happens when you realize the wickedness of your own religious body of supposed believers. What happens when you realize the wickedness of, in this day, their, you know, their particular political party, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes, and, you know, they were just, what happens when you realize how bad they are, and you're trying to be a follower of God? Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea realized how horrible these people were. In verse 45 of John chapter 7, the officers therefore came to the chief priest, 
and the Pharisees, and they said to him, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never did a man speak the way this man speaks. The Pharisees therefore answered them, You have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers of the Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this multitude, which does not know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus said to them, He who came before, being one of them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears of him and knows of what he is doing. Does it? They answered and said to him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. And everyone went to his home. See, they spoke the law when it was convenient to them. But they didn't follow the law. And so here, Nicodemus questions them and says, wait a minute, this is not what our law does. Our law does not condemn a man unless it first hears from them. They didn't care about that. At the cross, when Pilate said, what wrong has he done? They didn't care about that. All they cared about was themselves. And I want you to think about, just for a moment, Joseph of Arimathea, listening in the council to all the words they echoed. And how they themselves reasoned, trying to figure out, trying to discover whether or not Jesus was innocent or guilty. And how some in the council were saying, no, this man is surely innocent and is the Christ. And others were saying, well, maybe this man is innocent, but we don't really care. And then maybe some were saying, we don't really know the proper answer. John chapter 11, please. John 11 and verse 45. The question was, there aren't any any of the Pharisees... None of the rulers believe in Jesus. Well, that wasn't true. It wasn't just Joseph or Arimathea who was a secret Christian. There were a lot of leaders and there were a lot of people in that day who believed in Jesus because of the overwhelming evidence that obviously it's undeniable he's the Christ. But they were afraid. They were afraid to vocalize that. And so John 11 and verse 45 Many therefore the Jews who had come to Mary and beheld what he had done believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things which which Jesus had done. Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were asking, What are we doing for this man is performing many signs or many miracles? What are we doing? What should, so you're in the council, go with me please for just a moment. You're in the council with Joseph and the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. And they're saying to themselves, you know, these undeniable truths are in front of us. That Jesus is the Messiah. That he is the Christ. But the problem is the people are following him. They're following truth. They're not following us any longer. What should we do? Can you imagine how maybe your skin would have crawled in that meeting? Can you imagine how horrible you would have felt that these men were not willing to admit the truth? Are there any believers within the council? Yes, there are plenty of believers in the council. Please turn back to John chapter 3 for just a moment. John chapter 3, verse verses 1 and verse 2. And there... Nicodemus, who comes by night. Now there was a a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler 
of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. We know where Jesus came from. Because nobody, no one can do what Jesus has just done. No one can do that unless he's the Messiah. So in their counsel, please turn back to John chapter 11. In their counsel, they knew that. And so they're trying to reconcile the evil that they're going to commit versus the righteous act of admitting that they were wrong. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and many other rulers were there. What do you do at that point? What do you do? Verse 48. If we let him go on like this, speaking of Jesus, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But a certain one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should perish or should not perish, excuse me. Now this he did not say on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but that he might also gather together into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. So now Joseph, again, he's aware of this wicked plan. Turn back to Luke chapter 23. And he knows that they want Jesus killed. They want Jesus, Jesus crucified. And they don't care that Jesus Christ is innocent. And you can imagine that Joseph would have said, hey, I don't agree. In fact, we know he said it. The Bible tells us that he said, I don't agree with this plan. This is not the right thing to do. Brethren, there comes a point in time when men in life and humanity, uh, in selfishness and wickedness, no longer care about people. They only care about themselves. And here we are, Luke 23, in verse 50. There the Bible says this. As Joseph tries to encourage the Sanhedrin to do the right thing. And behold, a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan or, or excuse me, and action, a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. He did not agree with them. He did not consent with them to that plan. And I can only imagine, turn to Second Peter chapter 2, I can only imagine what that man may have felt like in those meetings where these ruthless, bloodthirsty men were putting together a plan to execute the perfect and the righteous Jesus Christ. I can only imagine how horrible he must have felt. Kind of reminds me of Second Peter 2 verse 7. If he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. I can only imagine that he must have felt absolutely horrible in those meetings. 
John chapter 17, please. And yet, for fear, for fear, though he denied and though, and, and maybe, and maybe also along with fear, maybe also it was the idea that he thought he could do more within the council. You know, and so he wanted to stay in there and keep, uh, uh, his, 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 his Christianity uh, secret so that uh, as a follower of Jesus, he could try to affect the, the minds, if you will, of the people in the Sanhedrin all to no avail. We don't really know all of what was going on in Joseph's mind, but I know that he had to be tortured after witnessing and listening to the conversation they spoke of about the Christ. They hated Jesus. They hated Jesus. And I think sometimes we forget that. And that's what makes it easy. To forget that makes it easy to side with the world sometimes. To forget that sometimes makes it easy to go along to get along. They hated Jesus. To forget that sometimes maybe it makes us feel better in ourselves or about ourselves when we recognize that when you stand for Jesus, the world hates you too. We don't want to be hated, do we? But isn't it worth it to be hated for the cause of Christ? See, Joseph Arimathea got to the point where he said, I'm willing to be hated for the cause of Christ. And that's what we have to get to if we're not already there. To be willing to stand out and stand up for righteousness sake and do the very will of God in the presence of evil and wickedness within our nation, within our world as God's people. In John 17 and verse 14, the Bible says, Have he given them thy word? And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. The world has hated them just like it hated Jesus. Jesus is praying for us because Jesus knows the world will hate us just like it hates Jesus. And then begin to wrap this up. Luke chapter 10, please. Luke chapter 10. But are you willing to be hated for the cause of Christ. What would you have done? Staring in the face of true adversity. And the possibility of your execution. Because, because you believed in Jesus. Not because you were doing wrong. Not because you were violating anything. But because you believed in the Messiah. And you weren't the only one. Even the whole council believed in Jesus. And they couldn't find a way out. And so they looked for lies and every other thing. To side people or to get people to side with them. They were not willing to allow Jesus. To, or his people should I say. To create another conspiracy. When it came to the body of Jesus Christ. This was a topic of discussion with amongst the Sanhedrin and within the, the member council of the Jews. What are we going to do about the body of Jesus Christ? Luke 10. Now after verse 1, 
And after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you as lambs in the midst of wolves. And so here you are amongst this body of non-believers as a lamb in the midst of wolves. And they're discussing what we're going to do with the body of Jesus. And that we cannot allow another conspiracy, if you will, in their words. We cannot allow another situation to come and harm our kingdom. So the body of Jesus was of much debate and discussion. You've heard that before, right? Satan and the body of Moses. The body of Jesus. Matthew chapter 27. An interesting parallel that there was an argument and a discussion about the body of of Jesus and Satan and Michael the archangel had an argument, if you will, or a discussion about the body of Moses. The two men who brought the laws to us. Moses, by way of inspiration, the law of Moses and Jesus Christ, the law of God himself. Satan has not changed his spots, brethren. Joseph's tomb would be the center of a worldwide forever event. Joseph's tomb will be in the middle of everything. And Joseph, at this moment, knowing that everything hinges on this moment, steps up and asks for the body of Jesus Christ. Matthew 27 and verse 62. Now the next day, which is the one after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. What happened to the body of Jesus? We'll deal with that, Lord willing, next week. But can you imagine now the Sanhedrin, as they come together and discuss? You know, they're gonna, those disciples are gonna come steal that body. And Joseph, why would you give him your tomb? Really? Why would you help the Christians? The Bible doesn't talk about the persecution that maybe Joseph has gone through after making his decision. But the question remains to ask this. If you were Joseph, what would you have done? Would you have had the courage to ask for the body of Jesus? Would you have had the courage to stand opposed to evil? And you know the only way that you can answer that question? You can't answer it hypothetically, and you can't answer it uh, from a, a guess. 
in hypothesis. You, you can't do that. You can only answer it from the lifestyle that you live today. How much courage do you have now? Because if you don't have courage now, you wouldn't have had courage then. If I don't have courage now, I wouldn't have had courage then. Though imperfect, would I have been willing to do the right thing? Would I have offered up my tomb because I love Jesus so much? God is looking for, amongst his people, if not all of his people, male and female, Josephs of Arimathea. People of the same character and spirit as he. Are you willing to stand against evil? Stand opposed to what, uh, what is before us that's wicked? That good might prevail? Are you willing to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Will you be the one who stands against the majority? For righteousness sake. Will you be willing to stand for Jesus? That's the question. And when we look at the book, uh, and we're looking at Joseph of Arimathea, it's not that, I know people say it often, well, he was afraid, he was a, he, some people say he was a coward, and he was this, and he was that, and we don't really know, again, all that was going on through his mind. But here's what we do know. Regardless, he did stand up, and he stood for Jesus. So regardless of where you are today, or maybe where you've been. Maybe you've been a coward. Maybe we've been a coward. Be a coward no more. Stand up for what you know to be right. Stand up for Jesus. And tonight we're going to sing a closing song. And perhaps there are things on your heart or on your mind that you would like prayers for. Stand up. Make your life right with God today. Or perhaps you've been contemplating surrendering to God in the waters of baptism. And there's something holding you back. Stand up. Be willing to be counted. And give your life to Jesus. As together we stand and sing our song, Imitation, Why Don't You Come If We Can Help. Send the light. Send the light. There are souls to rescue. There are souls.